Leadership Next is powered by the folks at Deloitte, who, like me, are super focused on how CEOs can lead in the context of disruption and devolving societal expectations. Welcome to Leadership Next, the podcast about the changing rules of business leadership. I'm Alan Murray, and I'm here with my amazing co-host, Ellen McGirt. I never get tired of that. <laughs> and, and Ellen, our guest today is the CEO of Adobe, Shantanu Narayan. I met Shantanu back in 2010, went yeah. to his headquarters in San Jose, and I remember it so well because it happened to be the same day that Apple CEO Steve Jobs published this incredible multi-thousand word <laughs> manifesto attacking Adobe and banning its flash technology on Apple platforms. I'd never quite seen anything like it from a CEO. That is, it is amazing that you were there on the ground. You know, I've heard part of the interview we recorded that day, and in your introduction, you called it the ubiquitous flash software, which was just such a 2010 phrase to use. It's easy to forget that, you know, but all those many years ago, if you wanted to watch a video online, you probably did that using flash software. And, and of course, in those days, Steve Jobs was God. So if, <laughs> if, if Steve Jobs said your company is a disaster and we're not going to support it anymore, I mean, you, you had to worry about Adobe's future. Yeah. Uh, but here's the remarkable thing. That was the beginning of the end for Flash, but the company's trajectory since then has been totally off the charts. I, I mean, it's now up there, number 285 on the Fortune 500, profits up 135% right. in 2016, up 86% in 2017. It's been year after year, yep. very solid growth. And it continued, of course, during the pandemic. So it's been a remarkably successful company, Steve Jobs notwithstanding. Part of it has got to be just the unflappable nature of this CEO. He was not <laughs> flapped then. He was not flapped <laughs> later on when you brought it up again. And, you know, it's true. I found myself relying on Adobe products during the pandemic, obviously all the documents and, of course, the platform that we're using now. Yeah, uh, we should point that out. This podcast is edited using Adobe's Creative Cloud. There's hardly anything that goes on in the media space that doesn't touch Adobe in some way. That's really true. And I would just mention, touch on really quickly before we get into this, the way the company has pivoted. Adam Lashinsky, our dear friend, wrote a data sheet essay back in 2018 with the headline, Old Codger Adobe Pulls Off Rare Tech Transformation. He was, of course, referring to the fact that their programs are now all sold via subscription model. That's a huge change, too. So we're, let's talk about all of this. So Shantanu, thanks so much for being with us. So you and I first met, I guess it was 12 years ago. You were a brand new CEO or pretty new CEO, and you were under attack by Steve Jobs. He had basically <laughs> taken your software or, or said he wasn't going to support your software on the iPhone. It was the most extraordinary thing. I'm sure you may not remember me, but you remember the Jobs incident very well. Well, Alan uh, and Ellen, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. And, you know, Adobe has been this incredible place uh, for me to have, uh, you know, what has been a, a really amazing run. And I think it really stems from our mission, which is to change the world through digital experiences. And when you have that ambitious uh, mission and vision, you know, uh, during your tenure, as you point out, there are always times of incredible uh, 
celebration and there are times of challenges. <laughs> and I think when we had to deal with uh, the situation that you refer to, uh, you know, I, our intent behind flash technology, even at that point, was to help the world communicate. And that remains steadfast. And how you communicate that, what platforms you use have certainly changed over the times. But the core mission of the company has remained same. And as you uh, have pointed out later, you know, we have we evolved, we thrived, and you know, the company continues to yeah. do incredibly well. Well, let's talk about the thrive part, because uh, as I look at what you've done since then, the numbers are pretty extraordinary. I mean, it's been quite a juggernaut. Can you just tell us a little bit about what the company has achieved in the last dozen years? There's no question that digital has been this unbelievable tailwind. And as a company, the fact that we've invented these platforms, whether it's Creative Cloud that enables anybody to tell the story they want to tell, or PDF and the impact that PDF has had on document exchange and automating processes. And more recently, what we've done with marketing and uh, saying that every company, whether it's Fortune, whether it's a bank, whether it's a retail, have to engage digitally with customers. Most companies would be thrilled to have one of those businesses that you know is doing well. We're just fortunate that we have three businesses that are absolutely in the sweet spot of where the world needs technology to uh, play a role. And I think we've executed. It feels good, but I, I have to end by saying the best is yet to come. I mean, we're so excited <laughs> about the things uh, that are on our plate. You certainly had a good year at a very difficult time, and I do want to talk about the pandemic year. But before we do, you have been a CEO a long time, as as Alan mentioned. And I was curious if the job itself has changed, if of over the years that you are now focused on different things, or if, if anything about what you feel your mandate is, is different now. Are you saying I'm long in the tooth, Alan? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying that at all. <laughs> Glowing with health, not going anywhere. I see that. <laughs> she says that to me all the time, Shantanu. <laughs> I do not. Everyone's telling lies, listeners, everyone. <laughs> but I am curious. I think more seriously, Ellen, I, the job has changed uh, dramatically. And I, I think we actually look back every year and talk about, you know, how the job has changed. And honestly, I, I think that's the funnest part of uh, what I do, because you've got to constantly reinvent yourself. And I'll touch on a couple of things, uh, Ellen. The first is the scale of the company. You mm. know, when you're about 250 billion market cap, you know, you clearly have a platform where uh, that platform has to be used wisely in terms of what we stand for. So that's changed dramatically. The The scale of the company in terms of who we target globally, consumers, I mean, when you have billions of people who've used your software, that's changed. I think what's changed clearly is the environment in which we all find ourselves and the role that you have to play as a leader. And I think, you know, perhaps uh, you get more comfortable in your role. And as you get more comfortable in your role, uh, I think the things that you focus on uh, have to change because you have this amazing organization uh, that does more and more. And so, you know, I came up through the ranks from the product side. I'm still, a, I think in my heart, a product geek who likes to build products, but where I have to focus my time has changed so much with the various stakeholders. Can you talk a little bit about what the last year has been like? Because it has been such an extraordinary year in so many ways. 
truly unprecedented, uh, Alan, truly. And I am an optimist, as we talked about a little bit earlier, and you know, science will win. But I just think about it, which is overnight, you have to take an entire company and say, we're going to uh, move to working from home. And absolutely unequivocally, the first thing we did was to say, our employee safety is the most important thing that we're going to do and focus on. The second thing you have to do is you have to say, we're in the business of serving customers. And so if you're serving customers, what can we do? Uh, I'll give you an example. We have Creative Cloud. Creative Cloud is without a doubt, you know, the product people use so much in colleges to express themselves. But if colleges are working from home, how do we think about provisioning our software for people working from home? And there were tens of millions of people that we provisioned. So really thinking about customers and empathy and are we really treating them well? I'll give you another example, which is, as people, uh, governments are thinking about vaccinations or forms, you know, the fact that we have PDF and Adobe sign, really saying, are we uh, stepping above and beyond the call of duty and making sure that we uh, do our bit to enable the world to continue to operate? And the same thing on the enterprise side, because if you're building a company for the long haul, you have to recognize that uh, some of your biggest customers were suffering, you know, significant friction in their business. So how do you, uh, you know, continue to operate your company because financial stakeholders are important, but with this spirit towards the long run. And that was, again, something that, you know, is truly unprecedented. So across all these fronts, how you deal with your employees, how you deal with your customers, and, and how you think about prioritization and completely reprioritizing if need be, while all working remote. So it has tested us in so many different ways, and it continues to test us. And then on top of all of that, you put in, you know, what's happened in terms of the social fabric of the world changing and, right. you know, whether it's sustainability or, you know, some of the other social aspects of, of the job. And, you know, your job is dealing with all of them every single day. And, you know, you have to literally go from talking about product to dealing with a customer to dealing with what's happening maybe in a geography uh, in the span of a day. So it, it's been uh, it's been challenging. Yeah, I'd love to follow up on that because your products have enabled people to work from home. They've enabled this extraordinary year to happen. But how are you thinking about the return to office? Because yeah. that's the big issue that all the business people I talk to are struggling with right yep. now. What has been lost because people haven't been in the office? And how do you get those benefits back while keeping all the other benefits of distributed work? It's a great question, Alan, and it's one that I think our own assessment of, you know, what's really worked and how do you keep the best of that flexible environment and what the company stands for has really changed quite a bit. First, people have amazed us, as I said, with the ingenuity and the resilience of working from home. I believe for existing projects, Alan, that's been great. But for new projects, I, I mean, I certainly miss the collaborative aspects of being able to be in a room with people and getting energy from people in the room. Uh, and I think for newer projects, getting them kicked off the ground and really creating that next wave of innovation, I don't think there's anything that you know will change the nature of trying to come back in the office with safety as a criteria. I think when we think about culture and growth for employees, I mean, it's great. We've continued to hire during this period. But how do they understand what's truly special about Adobe 
and you know really resonate with the culture. Uh, how do you grow somebody's career when you've never maybe seen them in the office? Mm-hmm. And so I think we will create this hybrid environment. And we've defined two things on that front. We've defined something that we call, you know, the hybrid work. And anybody who lives within, let's say, 50 miles of one of our large locations, we do want them to come back to work periodically. I, I don't think it'll be five days a week, but we want them to come back periodically to engage with people, to understand the culture. And I think that's going to be the majority of, you know, the Adobe workforce. We will have uh, something that we're calling a remote workforce. And those are people who may not live within 50 miles. But I think the criteria for that, it's probably going to be privilege, not an entitlement. And last but not least, you know, we've done a number of surveys, uh, you know, the eight hours of video conferencing a day, fatigue is setting in. And so how do you enable people to get energy from others? Yeah. I would just point out that year after year, you and Adobe rank high on Fortune's list of 100 best companies to work for. And that's a that's a real accomplishment. You're clearly paying attention to the welfare of your employees. We just love to say that, you know, our most important asset, the real intellectual property that we have, Alan, is our people. And they go home every night. And I used to half jokingly say, and I hope they come back the next day. And with the (laughs) pandemic, you know, I realized they're still working from home. But, you know, I I think people do their best work when they both resonate with the mission of the company. I mean, you know, you have to really get motivated by what the company stands for. Even if you're in the financial group or the HR group or, you know, marketing and innovating, but also with the values. And if you don't resonate with what the company stands for, we all spend more time at work than we do with our loved ones. And so if the values don't resonate, I I think it's impossible to do your best work. We're really thrilled that we continuously rank on the Fortune rankings. Uh, We spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, what that means, because it's not just about being on the ranking, but really, uh, Alan, it's about what employees are telling you about what's important for them. I'm here with Joe Yukazaglu, who is CEO of Deloitte US and had the good sense to sponsor this podcast. Joe, thanks for being with us and thanks for your support of our second season. Thanks, Alan. Pleasure to be here. Joe, we talked about technology adoption accelerating in 2020, but at the same time, it also seemed last year like there was an increase focused on people, on human capital. Can we hope for a future where we have both more technology and more humanity all at the same time? Well, Alan, I'm particularly energized leading a a large professional services firm where people are at the core. This is all about pairing great people with innovative technologies. It's not about replacing one with the other. It's allowing people to free up more of their time to do what humans do best. The technology is an enabler for great people to use their creativity, their complex judgment and decision-making skills. But at the same time, I think we have to recognize that getting this right definitely requires a new kind of corporate leadership. I would say out with the autocratic, all-knowing CEO sitting in the corner office and in with those who bring vulnerability, 
empathy, humility. Those are such critical attributes to unlocking the creative talents of the workforce in such a dynamic economy. Yeah, it is very different when you're trying to get a group of creative people to solve a problem than when you're simply giving orders and telling them what to do. It requires a brand of leadership that places a premium on instilling values, instilling principles, and empowering people to be able to make those judgments on the front line instead of waiting for some checklist or waiting for some prescriptive order from corporate that spells out exactly how each of those decisions need to be made. Joe, thank you. Before we get back to our interview with Shantanu, I wanted to pick up on his comments around returning to work, particularly around creating a work pl- good workplace generally. Alan, I know because I'm typically there that you have been asking a lot of CEOs how they are reimagining work in response to the pandemic. What are some of the big themes you've been hearing? Yeah, it's so interesting, Ellen. I mean, most leaders I talk to want to get their workers back to the office at least part of the time because they think it's important for collaboration, important for innovation, important for creating culture. But at the same time, most knowledge workers, uh, not all of them, some are dying to get back to the office, but many of them like the flexibility they've had for the last year and they don't want to give it up. And so everybody is sort of circling around this notion of hybrid. Yeah, you can have more flexibility to stay at home than you've had in the past, but you need to come into the office some. And hybrid just creates a whole new set of problems. If you're having a team meeting and half the team is on video and half the team is in the room, how do you create an inclusive atmosphere so the people on the video don't feel like they're second class citizens? And what do you do about new people? You know, it's hard for somebody to break into a culture if they've never actually been there physically and have those water cooler conversations or those occasional office lunches. So I think this is a big, big issue that has not begun to be cracked. No, it hasn't. And I think to adopt the Alan Murray view of the world, I think, (laughs) Uh no, no, this is good. I've been learning. I've been listening. I think this is a time to think about this as not just problems to be solved, but opportunities. And I think that's the kind of leadership orientation that we're going to need to focus on. So I did want to hear from an expert who could weigh in on what leaders should really be considering as we all prepare for a wider return to work. So for that, I turned to Lauren Daly, who is the Senior Director of Women and the Future of Work at Catalyst. What I'm excited and optimistic about is that we have a moment now and the opportunity to redesign the workplace for more equity and inclusion moving forward. Through the pandemic, we've seen a great revolution in the amount of um, access to flexible and remote work that we could not have anticipated beforehand. And, you know, we know that remote work works. Research consistently finds productivity boosts, increased work-life effectiveness, being able to drive empowering workplaces for employees of color. There's a lot of business benefits to remote work. I think it's important for leaders to consider that empathy is a critical leadership skill when it comes to building inclusive, flexible remote workplaces, especially as we look to a hybrid model moving forward. You know, empathy for us is the act of showing care, concern, and understanding for another person. And at Catalyst, we believe that this can be demonstrated through our managers, through our one-on-one interactions, but also can be an organizational demonstration through our benefits and our policies, practices, and procedures. Three things that I think leaders should keep in mind Mm -hmm. is that we have to be intentional about inclusion 
Otherwise, we can create two tiers of workers where people who come into the office have more access to opportunities than people who choose to work more flexibly and remotely. Think number two, thinking about hybrid beyond a days per week model. I think a lot of times when I'm seeing, you know, organizations start to define what this looks like, they're thinking about a certain number of days per week. But there are ways of expanding this to allow for geographic flexibility, to really allow people to work on a, a percentage basis. And this might be, you know, being able to bring people together a few times a year, a few times a month, whatever that looks like. And there won't be a one-size-fits-all model. It'll really depend on the organization's needs and their, their culture. And finally, leaders need to role model, taking advantage of flexible and remote work in a hybrid model so people feel that they can mm-hmm. safely also take advantage of those policies. Lauren, I love how you use the word inclusive, and it seems very specific. When you talk about the vision for an inclusive workplace, what are you really talking about? For a lot of people, you know, an office-centric culture actually could be somewhat exclusionary. Mm. You know, there's a pressure to conform, a pressure to look like other people, a pressure to act like other people. And when we think about what an inclusive workplace could be, that sense of belonging is really key. And so this could be, you know, allowing people, for instance, to work when, how, and where they work best. Being in an office might not be the best for some people. So allowing people to have that flexibility of choice, giving people a wide latitude of choices as long as they're getting their work done. And I think this is really key when we talk about collaboration and innovation. There seems to be a mindset that it's better in person. And, you know, for me, I want to see the data that shows, yeah, we never we weren't measuring you know, that collaboration and innovation were better in the office before. We were talking about conditions that made collaboration and innovation better. So moving forward, the idea that we can create workplaces where everyone can contribute and belong and thrive and not base our collaboration and innovation on comfort level, proximity, similarity, and fate, that's really exciting to me moving forward. What else have you learned about how people can work best? What do they need to succeed? Through Catalyst Research, we know that people work best when they feel safe, understood, and included. So, you know, those conditions are very important, whether you're in an office physically or you're in a remote workplace. I think there are a couple of other things as well, besides inclusion, that can help build that sense of of psychological safety. And one of those is operating from a remote first mindset and using remote first behaviors. Mm. So in a hybrid model, it's really important that if people are, if one person is working out of the office that day, that everyone acts as, as though all of you are working out of the office that day. Using that to remember, okay, we, may, we might all need to be on Zoom. Right. You know, we can't just have a meeting right here in the hallway. We have to be very clear in documenting and bringing people in. Anything else, particularly around women and women of color as we exit this terrible time that I should have asked about? Yeah, you know, I think because flexible and remote work is is so important to being able to address life work needs, it's also important that for organizations as they're doing this in a hybrid way to really think about how they are going to reconsider and offer benefits that match this moment in time. Yes. So, you know, traditionally benefits might have been you know, a childcare stipend for the daycare next to the office. And so we need to think about what this looks like childcare wise. Is it, is it a benefit that's being offered to people? Is it more caregiving, well-being support? These benefits are really a key way of demonstrating empathy and action that organizations need to rethink beyond this moment for the hybrid way moving forward. Dr. Daly, what a delight. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. 
It's so easy to be focused on the urgent challenges of the moment and delivering the expectations of shareholders in the quarter. But somehow Adobe is perceived as keeping its eye on the long ball. So how do you do that? Does that come from the top? Does that come from you? Is it embedded in the culture of the company? How do you make sure you're always looking way down the road and not at the next moment? Some of all of that, Alan. I mean, firstly, the company, if you think about the transformations we've done, I think you touched on the latest one, but the company started by inventing PostScript, which was the ability to print what you could see on a screen and desktop publishing and then Photoshop. So uh, one of the things I think that is intrinsic to the company is this fundamental belief that all software has you know, shelf life. And if there's an S-curve associated with technology, you've got to be constantly looking at what the next S-curve is rather than just trying to preserve where your business is today. And I think that's been part of the culture from the beginning. I would say the other part for me specifically, I mean, maybe there's an element of the Asian culture that I grew up with. And, you know, this feeling of there's nothing permanent except change, I think, as a philosopher once said. And so, you know, if you just believe that, you have to constantly look at doing the right thing, but how the world's going to change. And But it's tapping into the intelligence of the employee base. Because, you know, if you're hiring, I mean, we've been lucky. You hire because you're growing. When you're growing, you're hiring this next set of incredible talent that has a very different perspective on what's important. And if you give them a voice in the company, the truth is with most companies, the truth exists. The question is, are you giving enough of a voice to those people who can help you think about the future? But We're lucky. We don't take it for granted uh, in any way, Alan, but it's something that we do think about. And, Mm. you know, you've got to always look around the corner, especially Mm. in tech. It's so impressive. Steve Jobs was clearly wrong about you, Shanta. You you had it right. (laughs) But let me ask you to end. Since you are focused on the future, you do you have a demonstrated reputation for seeing where the big changes are coming. Take a look around the corner for us, you know, 10 years down the road. What are the big things in the world that we're going to see that are going to be different? I I think we're really at the early stages of artificial intelligence and machine learning. And the implications of AI and ML done right, Alan, versus, you know, where you can inadvertently do harm. I think that's going to be one of the biggest issues. And let me give you the power of that. I mean, the power of that would be uh, when people use one of our creative products, The biggest fear that they have is that fear of a blank screen. I have the story. I want to tell that story. (laughs) And so why can't I just talk to my computer? And so I think AI is going to be able to really transform how people do it. I think the second really important thing that we think about is data. The value of data, I think, has not yet been fully appreciated and how you use that data to learn versus how other people might use that data to do harm. But I think if there's one area that I'm particularly passionate about, Alan, for me, it's the confluence of medicine and technology. I think huh. we're so early in that phase, and I think it's going to dramatically change uh, you know, the world. And again, I think education will change as we know it. Certainly financial services has changed. But healthcare was so early in that revolution Interesting. In terms of data. And so if I was starting my career now, I'd probably be saying, you know, what is going to happen at the confluence of medicine 
and data and technology. Uh, well, well, you're a young man, Ch- Shantanu. So uh, <laughs> you, you, if you want to do a second career in healthcare, I'm sure you can. But one way or another, we will come back to you in 10 years to see how That's your right. predictions have panned out. 100%. Thank you so much. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Alan. I really appreciate you having me on your show. Leadership Next is edited by Nicole Vergala, written by me, Alan Murray, along with my amazing colleagues, Ellen McGirt and Megan Arnold. Our theme is by Jason Snell. Executive producers are Mason Cohn and Megan Arnold. Leadership Next is a production of Fortune Media. Leadership Next episodes are produced by Fortune's editorial team. The views and opinions expressed by podcast speakers and guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Deloitte or its personnel, nor does Deloitte advocate or endorse any individuals or entities featured on the episodes. 